0: Writing about crime contains themes and subjects that some may find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. May of 2014. After being employed with the CBC for 14 years, Canadian broadcaster Gian Meshi tells his superiors, executives for the public broadcaster, about an ex-girlfriend who's on social media, threatening to make public embarrassing details of Jian's sexual preferences and lifestyle. She's claiming that he's into rough sex and other proclivities. He is adamant that he's doing nothing wrong. In June of 2014, Jian Gomeshi shares a letter with the same executives an independent journalist that the Toronto Star has teamed up with had contacted Gomeshi. There are details of serious allegations that he has physically attacked more than one woman and from different parts of the country. With examples like choking and slapping across the face with open hands or closed fists, putting his hands around their necks until they almost pass out, covering their nose and throat so breathing is difficult the informants also claimed that they were verbally assaulted before, during, and after the events. The females all stated clearly that they in no way offered any consent to the behaviours. The letter was offering Gian Meshi the chance to explain the situation and offer his side of the conversation. Gian denies all of the allegations to the top brass at the Canadian Broadcasting Company. The Toronto Star appears to halt the story. Things seem to remain quiet and no more contact is heard from the star for the time being. October 2014, Gian Gomeshi listens to a popular Canadian podcast called Canada Land. It's created and hosted by Jesse Brown. He is the independent reporter that was working with the Toronto Star. Gian hears him claim that he's currently working on a huge story for the star and he's very enthusiastic about it. Concerned that this story is described as worse than embarrassing for certain parties. Gian Gomeschi suspects that it involves him and attempts to act first. He brings his lawyer and supporting text messages, videos, and a photo to the CBC executives on October 23rd, 2014. Believing those would clarify how things could be misunderstood or misleading, And the supporting items he brings are intended to show the consensual nature of the relationship instead they show physical injury done to the female including bruising from a cracked rib this graphic evidence of gomeshi hurting his former companion is basis enough for the public broadcaster to put steps in motion to dismiss xiang gomeshi that afternoon they have him removed from the front offices for 3 days into and through the weekend there are meetings and discussions about how they will proceed finally on october 24th gomeshi announced that he was taking an indefinite leave of absence from the network to deal with personal matters on sunday october the 26th the canadian broadcasting corporation or the cbc released details to the media. They said they're saddened to announce that their relationship with Gian Gomeshi has come to an end. Almost all media screens, posters, TV, and radio are sanitized of Gian's image, and it appears to happen in almost an instant. That same Sunday, later in the afternoon, Gian communicates directly with the public on his Facebook account. He admits to engaging in rough sex. He adamantly comments that all sexual adventures are consensual. He says, I've done nothing wrong, and that an ex-girlfriend has approached a journalist and they're on a tirade to smear him publicly. He goes further to say that he's the victim of harassment and vengeance. Finally, he goes on to say that the CBC is not on board with a high-profile host having accusations like this so they've terminated him and then he indicates that he will be having the courts settle their differences. Within only hours the Toronto Star releases the story that they've been sitting on for months. Three women, all anonymous, have revealed that they all have suffered assault at the hands of Gianco Meshi. A fourth woman interviewed claimed to be a current staffer at the CBC and had been sexually harassed by Gomeshi while working. On Monday, October the 27th, Jian's lawyers file a claim with the courts. They're seeking $55 million for defamation and breach of confidence. That same day, another female came forth claiming that Jian had assaulted her in 2002 and 2013. And both events happened while he was working with the CBC on another program called Play. As the days roll by, more and more women are coming forward in the media. They're expressing that they too have had non-consensual, physical and verbal contact with Xi'an. Two of the ladies reveal their names in an attempt to show solidarity and support for the other women who may come forward. One is lawyer Riva Seth, a lawyer and journalist. The other is Lucy Decote, a popular Canadian actress and an Air Force captain. Descôté meets with CBC News and she details her meetings with Xi'an Gomeshi. They're shocking. Canadians by and large are disgusted, many having a special fondness for the characters on her popular television program. It depicted the lives of a group of ragtag members living in an East Coast trailer park. The general consensus is across a full scale of persons, those offended by such violence against women, as well as fans of the TV show. They're unable to believe anyone would hurt Lucy. Lucy, her name on the program, and her proper legal name, fans of the radio show Q with Xi'an Gomeshi are left in a whirlwind of disbelief as well. These behaviors don't reconcile with Jian's public persona. On October 30th, of 2014, Gian Gomeshi returns to Facebook to post a note to the public. It's four days after his dismissal, and more women have come forward. His response is to thank everyone for their support and that he will address the allegations directly. Gian is not the only one reaching out. Police Chief Bill Blair speaks with the media on October the 30th, and he encourages women who've had similar encounters to come forward and disclose their experiences with Xi'an. On October 31st, the criminal case begins. It's made public that the two women have formally made a complaint against Xi'an, Lucy de Cotier and another anonymous female. November 3rd, a third female goes to the police to provide an account of her encounters with Gomeshi. The investigation has turned into criminal charges and it's seemingly growing. Police soon speak with reporters, highlighting the fact that several accounts that are describing similar methods of attack from separate non-connected individuals is setting a pattern that they can't ignore. Combined with the fact that none of the events are consensual, there is definitely an issue that must be investigated criminally. There have been no charges issued at this point and police have not been in contact with Xi'an. November 5th, Xi'an makes his move. He hires a high-powered criminal defense attorney to represent him by the name of Marie Heinen. She's from the firm Heinen & Hutchinson, a Toronto-based law firm. On the 25th of November, Gomeshi withdraws his lawsuit against the CBC as investigators continue to investigate the accusations that are made against him. Then the next day, the 26th of November, Gian turns himself into police. He's charged with four counts of sexual assault and one count of overcoming resistance by choking. It is a media frenzy. Gian with a fresh haircut and shave, wearing a black suit and white dress suit looking somber. He stares down from the cameras in a direct opposition, his usual casual dress and his tussled rockstar hairstyle and charismatic flair. Things are looking very serious. Jean is released that day on a $100,000 bail and conditions include submitting his passport to the courts and agreeing to stay at his mom's house for the duration of the trial. On January 8, 2015, more charges are coming in. Three new charges of sexual assault from three separate women are brought against Chiang, and he appears in court to have those charges read. The following May, the case is reviewed by the Crown. In some countries, this would be similar to the District Attorney's Office. And it's decided that two counts of sexual assault will be dropped due to the limited chances that those charges would result in a conviction. It's announced that there will be two separate trials, and both will be heard by a judge only. October 31st, news emerges that a Carleton University in Ottawa is beginning to review its internship records going back to 2004 to 2005. They're trying to determine which students worked with Gomeshi as a part of school programs the school has now sent out 53 letters to journalism students that did internships at the CBC. In an email to the faculty, staff, and students, the university encouraged anyone that requires support to seek out resources, such as the school's sexual assault support services and health and counseling services. This review surfaces after the emergence of a Twitter account called At Big Ears Teddy, which sent tweets in April that accused Gomeshi of violent behavior. One of them, dated April 9th, is signed Every Female Carlton U Media Grad. October 1st, Gian Gomeshi appears in a Toronto Provincial Courtroom again. Pre trial runs for two days, and Gian pleads not guilty to all charges against him. The first trial date revolves around three witnesses and four counts of sexual assault, and one of choking to overcome resistance. Jean Gomeshi, born in London, England, to Iranian parents, Farhang, or Frank, a civil engineer, and Azar, or Sarah, is a known face in the arts and music scene here in Canada. He, a self-proclaimed theater geek, musician, and broadcaster for over 32 years. As a child, he suffered bullying, being referred to as Blackie. Raised in a Muslim home, his family was secularist. He was familiar with the celebrations that we all know, Christmas and Easter. At age seven, Jean's family moved to Canada to join his father, Frank, Frank had headed to Canada previously to the family, and he secured a job there, set up an apartment in Ontario. And then once the family arrived, they all relocated to Thornhill. Gomeshi was said to be self-conscious of his appearance and his East London accent. He was aware that he was different, even though he resided in a normal area with normal houses lawns trees he still was going to great lengths to fit in this is notable to me Gomeshi himself wrote that to ensure social credibility he would keep his clothes smelling of cigarette smoke even though he was a non-smoker by grade nine gian was very interested in music he liked bands that seemed advanced for his young age in the era of 80s pop he was listening to david bowie Talking Heads, and even Rush? He wrote of this in his book titled, 1982. He wrote this, just as the smell of smoke from his clothing, I smell smoke from his tape deck. Regardless, it's my suspicions against his word, so I guess we'll have to decide in the end who has more credibility. But this won't be the first time that a female's credibility will be stacked up against Jean Gomeshi, and I am going to tell you all about it. So please, don't leave me. Young Jean Gomeshi completed secondary school after he was a student council president. His older sister was on her path to becoming a professor of linguistics, but Jean had other designs. His parents were supportive as he started off to York University in 1985. His time there was marked by a couple of notable incidents. One former student recalled that in 1988, residence advisors had warned a group of students that Gomeshi had allegedly hit some of his fellow students and they warned them to be cautious around him. He was in the theater program and graduated with his bachelor's degree in political science and a double minor in history and women's studies. In 1989, Gomeshi unsuccessfully attempted to overthrow the student government at York. And in 1990, he was elected president of the Council of the York Federation of Students. He had a record breaking number of votes. As president, Gomeshi promised increased funding for the Women's Center. He supported increased safety measures for women on campus and co-founded a pro-choice network. This garnered his reputation as a male feminist. After completing his education, his parents were supportive but cautious when Jian decided to take to the road less traveled He was in a couple of bands, Tall Buildings in 1983, and in 1988, he formed a new band with Mike Ford and some members of Tall Buildings that was called the Chia Pets. A year later, they were joined by Dave Matheson to form Moxie Fruvis. Gomeschi claimed later in interviews that they were trying to think of a name that wasn't easy to remember and didn't mean anything for the band. Moxie Fruvis was inspired by street performing or busking bands, and Gomeshi and his bandmates started out by doing just that in Toronto. Gomeshi sang and played drums. A year after forming, Moxie Fruvis was opening for headline performers like Bob Dylan. Their debut EP, self-titled Moxie Fruvis, sold over 50,000 copies, which was a gold record in Canada at the time. Their debut full album, Bargainville, went platinum in Canada in 1994 and sold over 100,000 copies. The band was also nominated for a Juno Award as Band of the Year in 1994. Over Moxie Fruvis' career, they sold half a million albums in Canada and the U.S. They'd recorded eight albums, but no matter what, they were always the guys that sang the King of Spain. A folksy fun song with a catchy chorus. Once I was the King of Spain. Now I eat humble pie. Fame for the young Gomeshi was in full swing. And so with fame comes fans. A surprising video of Gomeshi backstage after a performance suggested that he didn't always totally appreciate his audience. He was recorded saying people paying to see the band were losers and fucking idiots. It was recorded by someone present at the event where people can be seen sitting and standing around at a meet and greet event and Jean at the piano. Fortunately, it was long before the advent of social media. Otherwise, every phone in the place would have lit the room up. Yet, David Yonke happened to be there and he was filming some of the tour. And he was uncomfortable, gauging how serious Xian was being that night. Fans make me sick. Hard-comping Hardcore fans. All oh, my fans are very thick. I'd like to beat them with a fucking big stick. Thank you very much. You. That's, a, uh, that's a song called All My Fans Make Me Sick. I really, uh, it sounds like a bit of a joke song, but it's something that I really mean. I just find that there's a lot of people, for instance, at in the Buffalo Show tonight, and the audience that are, well, for lack of a better term, losers. And you just look out there and you just go, you fucking idiots. You know, in terms of, as I don't even, I mean, they're human beings. I wouldn't, mean, you know, I'm not, it's not a specious argument. I'm just saying they're really ignorance, you know. At 31 years old and on tour in 1999, Jean began a correspondence with a 16-year-old fan named Sally Block. This continued for three years and included in-person meetings where Gomeshi is alleged to have been very handsy with her. In 2002, they had a spat And, as young girls may do, she tried and successfully gained access to Gomeshi's email account. Gomeshi sought to have her banned from FruCon, a Moxie Fruvis convention. He also wanted to press criminal charges against her. Gomeshi dropped the issue after her father confronted him for carrying on this type of relationship with an underage girl. The band gave its last live performance in the year 2000, and in 2001, it was clear that Moxie Fruvis was on permanent hiatus. With the band no longer on the road and recording, Gian Meshi released his first solo EP. It was entitled The First Six Songs in July of 2001. By now, he was looking for a new transition, and he would find it at the CBC, Gian's love of music and history, as well as his political leans, and even his cool haircut, created a new darling of the CBC. The first venue was Play, an arts and culture program highlighting the arts with interviews and commentary. Gian's style and natural presence made him very likable, and he was really sharpening his chops, getting ready for a show that he had pictured in his future. We are young, we are alive. It's almost spring and this is the time for play. It was during that time that Riva Seth claims that she was having a pleasant evening with Gomeshi when suddenly it was like he became a different person. She's quoted as saying, Gian had his hands around my throat and he'd pulled down my pants and he was aggressively and violently penetrating me with his fingers. By the end of that year, Linda Redgrave alleged to have been assaulted by Jean twice, once between December 31st in 2003 and January 2nd of 2003. Linda had met Jean while working as a server in 2002 at a CBC Christmas party. They flirted and she found Jean charming and charismatic. After their first meeting, she was quoted as saying that He was smitten with me. He invited her to a taping at his show and gave her a note with the time and place of the event. That evening, she arrived and said that Gomechi's eyes lit up when he saw her. The show was recorded in a restaurant bar, and after the show, he asked her to join him and some fellow employees for a drink, so they went to a nearby pub. The evening went well. She claimed he was sweet and humble, She even recalled specific details, like he'd ordered a Heineken and she had a ginger ale. She thought he was funny and intelligent and even went as far as saying he'd already impressed on her that he was a nice person. A short time later, he drove her to her car. She said he was driving a bright yellow Volkswagen Beetle. She recalled in court over 10 years later that this was a Disney car and also called it a love bug. It made an impression. She had pegged him as someone who would drive around in a Hummer or some such vehicle. The love bug made a serious impression of his softness and kindness. It made her feel safe. When they arrived at her parked car, they sat and talked. He was flirtatious and playful He asked her to undo some of the buttons on her blouse and she declined. She did say, however, that she was flirting with him. They started kissing and she claims that he suddenly grabbed hold of her hair and then yanked it very hard. The thought ran through her mind. What have I gotten myself into here? She later described the yank as painful. Jean asked her if she liked it like that or some such. Afterwards, they sat and talked for a while longer and he kind of changed back into being very amicable. It was confusing for Linda. She was unable to decide if he just didn't know his own strength and had no intention to be so aggressive. They kissed goodbye and she got into her car and kind of dumbfounded about what just happened. She went home. She was still unsure if he intended to hurt her. She was still attracted to Jean. She was separated from her husband then and she confided to some that she was interested in possibly dating Jean. She went to another taping of play where she later said she had a nice evening with him and he was very, very nice and it was basically uneventful. She was reassured that there was no reason for caution around him. During the first week of January 2003, she met with Jeanne again, this time bringing a friend, and she recounted that he was happy to see them. After the show, they all headed over to the same pub that they'd been to before, and they stayed less than an hour. After some flirting, Linda and her friend were both asked if they would like to go back to Jeanne's place with him. Linda was excited too, but her friend decided to go home instead. So Gian and Linda were off to his place. He made her a drink and was playing music while they talked on the couch. Later, Linda got up to admire some things in the room and was thinking how charming Gian was. And then suddenly, out of the blue, he came up behind her. He grabbed her hair and pulled it and then punched her in the head several times. And she said he pulled her to her knees the force of the punches was significant and she related this sensation to that of walking into a pole. She thought she was going to pass out. And then again, as the rage subsided and Jean calmed down, he told her, You should go now. I will call you a cab. She waited for her cab to arrive and said later it was like being thrown out like trash. She said she never considered calling the police because she didn't think anyone would listen to her. She then later claimed in court testimony that she never saw Mr. Gomeshi again after that incident. Almost 10 years later, when Toronto Police Chief Blair publicly encouraged people with complaints about Gian Gomeshi to come forward, she decided to tell her story. The following june of that year a popular canadian actress and captain in the royal canadian air force a fact that fans of her then popular tv show the trailer park boys find astounding lucy de her real name was lucy on the tv show found herself at the banff film festival later a fellow cast member would disclose that lucy didn't date much she wasn't very knowledgeable when it came to the current standards of practice in the dating world in short, Lucy didn't get around. So, when she attended the film festival and caught the eye of Jean Gomeshi, the playful and flirtatious host on CBC, she thought he would be fun to be with more. They kept in touch and began planning a meeting in Toronto for the following Canada Day, July the 1st. Later admitting it was just a backup plan in a handwritten letter to Jean, she planned a visit with some friends in Toronto and made plans to possibly visit Jean. Early on during her stay, she joined Jean for dinner and they decided after talking for a while to go back to his place. He had told her he wanted to have her by her place so they could listen to some music and he could just hold her. She suspected that was a put on and found it quote, cheesy. But when dinner was over, they headed back to his place which was in walking distance from where they were dining. On the walk, he made an attempt to move in and kiss her. She didn't, claiming it was awkward. Once they arrived, he gave Lucy a tour of his apartment and she noted it was very well kept and organized. Then, once again described as out of the blue, Jean suddenly began to kiss her and he put his hand onto her throat and pushed her forcefully into the wall. He began choking her and slapping her in the face. Although she was shocked, she tried to remain calm as though nothing unusual had happened. She stayed for a short time, listened to music with him, and later he played his guitar for her. One kiss goodnight and she was ready to leave. The remainder of her visit was filled with several social events that Lucy and Jia attended together. She began thinking the assault might have been a mistake or a one-off just as linda had she said that she had internalized it and even briefly was alone with him at his home one more time she recounts later in court that she stepped on his glasses and he became very upset he became very moody but there was not any violence or physical threats after this meeting Lucy firmly decided that there would be no more of a personal relationship with Gian. When she arrived back home in Halifax, she sent Gian flowers in an act of appreciation for him being such a generous host while she was in Toronto. Her co-star and friend later recalled Lucy calling her and asking about the choking. Lucy was inquiring if this was normal, since she didn't really date often, she was confirming that it was an odd thing to happen. Sarah Dunsworth told her unequivocally, no, that is not normal and it's not okay. Later in the fall of 2003, Lucy and Gian saw each other at a Gemini Awards dinner. The Trailer Park Boys was nominated for an award that year and Gian had approached her table. She recalled that at one point he reached out and touched her neck, and she found it very unsettling. Again in 2004, Lucy met up with Shion during the Banff Film Festival. They spent some time together there and even did some karaoke at an event. They chose Hit Me Baby One More Time, which later Lucy would characterize as hilarious. After that, they occasionally saw each other at industry events. Lucy referred to the few later meetings as inconsequential, just dinners and social meetings. She felt the assault at Gian's was not serious enough to report to the police. She was under the impression that since she'd not been in any way beaten or raped, it was not cause to alert the police. When it became known that Gian Meshi was terminated from the CBC, Lucy Decote came to Toronto, planning only to speak to the media on her experiences with Xi'an, and she gave numerous interviews in Toronto to the media. However, she claimed to have no designs on contacting authorities about any criminal wrongdoings. She only did so when police chief Blair requested on TV that people contact him. She felt that it was time she should speak out. During that time between July 15th and the beginning of August in 2003, another female goes on a date with Jian. She was a dancer in a production performing in the Toronto area, and she knew of Jian Gomeshi through her involvement with the arts scene and entertainment industry. After one performance, Jean approached her and initiated conversation. That led to dinner and another meeting in the park after one of her performances. They walked to the baseball diamond and they stopped to sit on a bench and began kissing when she felt his hands and teeth on or around her neck. She described it as rough and unwelcome. It caused her difficulty breathing but only lasted a few seconds. And like the other two ladies conceded. It was so awkward that nothing was said after the incident. The two socialized two or three more times in the days and weeks after, but there was no further relationship. Play, won Jian and the CBC a Gemini Award in 2005 for the best general human interest program. In Canada, the Gemini is the award for excellence in television broadcasting. Gian was also doing weekly entertainment reports for Canada Now and wrote pieces for the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail. Then, in the fall of 2005, Gian Gomeshi began hosting a program called the National Playlist. After that run, on April 16th, 2007, Gian was made the host of Q, in the words of Joseph Brien, a journalist at the National Post, he became famous as the coolly insightful host of Q, a marquee interviewer with a mellifluous voice that he would tune to the cadence of his guest, fostering a sense of intimacy. As the host of Q, Gomeshi interviewed a range of musicians, artists, actors, and other notable figures. A list... That would include Woody Allen, Paul McCartney, Salman Rushdie, Jay-Z, Leonard Cohen, Drake, and even Barbara Walters. If, If by what you do, you are moving the story along, you're a very good reporter. But that does not mean that you are necessarily pen pandering to them. It works both ways. I'm being told we, we, we uh, it's so much I, I have to ask you, as you, as you might imagine. Uh, see, this is what happens when you so, write so a 600-page book. Why don't I just come back someday? Well, I, you, anytime. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't mind having you here for that. It's a great pleasure, Barbara Walters. Thank, thank, thank you. you for this. You're a very good interviewer. Uh, so you say that to all the points. No, I don't, and you are. Thank you. A former Q producer told the National Post, that her three years working for Gomeshi were hellish. She claimed, we were always on pins and needles and we were always scared. Gian had created this environment of tyranny. No one was standing up to him and everyone enabled his behavior. She went on to claim that in 2010, Gomeshi said he wanted to hate fuck her and then groped her buttocks. She said she told the show's executive producer, who said there was no reason to confront the host. The producer told her, he's never going to change, and you are a malleable person. Let's talk about how you can make this a less toxic work environment for you. Later, a Western University journalism professor advised against sending female students to intern with Q while Gomeshi was at the helm. The professor, Jeremy Copeland, based his warning about Q on allegations that Mr. Gomeshi inappropriately touched a recent Western graduate. Gian Meshi was diagnosed with a general anxiety disorder in and or around 2009. He told journalist Courtney Shea that the psychological issues arose because of feeling like an outsider that led back from his Iranian background and that he had trust issues and a lot of not feeling good enough. At the urging of his therapist, Jean Gomeshi purchased a teddy bear to replace his childhood toy and help him deal with his anxiety. He names the bear Big Ears Teddy. By 2013, with Jean Gomeschi at the helm, Q had a weekly audience of more than 3 million listeners weekly in Canada and the United States. Surprisingly, during his time as host of Q, Jean had repeatedly booked guests who shared his agent and lawyer without disclosing the connection. By 2014, the rumblings were getting very loud. Creator and host of the podcast Canada Land, who was also an independent journalist, was hearing about Jean's behavior in the workplace. He had sniffed out a potential story and soon Jesse Brown sends the letter offering Jean Gomeschi a chance to explain the situation and offer his side of the conversation. And this brings us to the timeline where Gian Messi is aware that multiple females are disclosing potentially damaging personal information. And they're doing it to an independent reporter associated with the Toronto Star. However, the Toronto Star had actually put the story on hold because editors felt that the accusations were not solid enough The paper didn't want to come out punching at the Canadian media, darling. So, although Jean has already alluded to the top brass that someone is out on social media and they're grinding an axe about him, for now, the star had decided to halt the story. I feel that even if you're not familiar with this case, you may have a gut instinct about where this may be going. So, all right, well, thanks again for joining me. And my little noisy co-host, Astrid, we're going to be back very shortly with part two of the Jean Gomeschi story. So take care.